This is the St. Longinus's Baptism Podcast Channel. This is episode number 43. Diversity is what unites the Catholic Church. But first, a prayer. All that I am, all that I have, and all that I do shall be consecrated to the service, honor, and glory, and exaltation of the Immaculate Heart of Mary, the Sacred Heart of Jesus, and the Heavenly Kingdom. In Jesus' name I pray, Immaculate Heart of Mary, please pray for us. Sacred Heart of Jesus, please pray for us. Amen. So, the reason for this episode is... Like anything else, the modernists have twisted a concept that is truly Catholic in nature. And what I mean by that is, is diversity. Diversity is one of the components that has kept the Catholic Church not only united, but um, purpose-driven throughout its history. So, when the modernists say diversity is our strength, they're not really talking about true diversity because they're talking about outward diversity. So, when they say uh, diversity, they're talking about a pierced up uh, black gay guy with blonde hair or a heavy set blued haired woman with glasses who's all tatted up now they're talking oh uh, the woman might be heterosexual or whatever but what I'm saying is, is is that the diversity that they're talking about is not diversity of individuals their diversity is a a diversity of ideologies all united under the Masonic the Masonic political ideology spectrum and um appearances but anyone who's by the way for for you left-wingers and I doubt very seriously you're out there but for you left-wingers out there who think I'm just bagging on you guys I'm not um neocons are the same way you know neocons they'll they'll talk about you know diversity and hey we got the token black gay guy we got the the token crippled Hispanic. We got the token autistic uh, Romanian. But when when they say diversity, they're they're not talking diversity of individuals. And I'm going to get into what I'm talking about in a few minutes. Um, diversity.
the diversity which unites the Catholic Church is the diversity that God made us all as individuals. And it's a sad commentary on today's society and culture that we, we give lip service to act, uh, being individuals when in actuality we go by appearances sake. Okay? Um, and like I said, even right-wingers fall into this trap. But God made us all as individuals. Every, ind every you know, I know it's popular on, on right-wing circles to run around and say, Oh, oh, that, that stuff about every, indi human, every individual human being is unique as a snowflake. That's a bunch of progressive nonsense. Now, it's actually the truth. Now, because it comes out of the Masonic... Um, playbook it's been twisted for secular purposes but there's a truth in that a catholic truth every human being has a has a diversity of experience now when i say appearances i'm not talking about clothing i'm talking about uh, you'll, you'll have uh, black people with blue or gray eyes. You'll have white people um, who, who may have red hair, short, fat, uh, skinny, tall, muscular, doughy. Um, different ways of looking at things, different temperaments. That's also very important. You know, I, I know it's popular for the moderns, the bag on the Middle Ages, but in the Middle Ages, it was well known by the educated classes of society that there were basically four temperaments, the chloric, the phlegmatic, the sanguine, and the, um, what was the last one? The uh, melancholy. Thank you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. The melancholy. And there are many classifications within the four temperaments and variation uh, between individuals, uh, variations of the categories within a particular person. Different strengths, different weaknesses, different here, uh, histories, different life experiences, different cultures. Um, and all's, all's a, uh, basically when the Masons made actual nation states, they were actually tampering with God's divine providence because if, if for, for, for the, uh, college educated who may listen to this episode um, 
I believe it's either sociology or anthropology, but basically, um, different families of the same genetic makeup make up different tribes and these tribes form uh, they form their own little groups within a certain area and the concept of a nation state as we know it today is actually quite um, quite unnatural because even well for my American audience, everyone's heard about the, the Hatfields and the McCoys. Now, these were two separate families that were fighting, I believe, from West Virginia and I want to say Tennessee that um, I, I believe they lived in the Appalachians. I could be wrong, but they were basically divided by uh, county and state lines. But as far as they were concerned, um, they didn't, you know, they, they might have been living in a certain county. That meant nothing to them. They might have been, some of them might have lived in Tennessee and some of them might have been living in West Virginia. That didn't matter to them either. They were two families who had a blood feud and that's what counted. Now, as far as God's diversity goes, um, you have a diversity of languages. Now, I remember in the 90s when I used to read neoconservative magazines, how they were complaining in the American context that America was losing its regional accents. And broadly speaking, they're kind of correct. There are variations of regional accents. Like you'll have the Northeastern United States Yankee accent. But in Boston, you'll have the Boston accent. You'll have the Midwestern accent. But within Chicago, you'll have the Chicago accent. You'll have the southern accent, uh, but within the southern accent, uh, people from Georgia sound a little differently from people in Texas. Um, and uh, California is, is its own little cesspit, but uh, people on the west coast have their accent and so on and so forth. But... In, in the earlier days of our nation's history, and I'm talking like the 1800s, you could go from one part of a state. Let's just say you live in northern Illinois and you go to Springfield. Your accent in the 1800s would set you, even though you're in the same state, it would set you apart from the people in Springfield. Because they had their own particular accent. And part of this phenomena was, I remember these neocons saying, and because neocons are just a, a faction of the Freemasons, you know, they probably were pretending to be sad about this. But, and 
I didn't get it in the 90s because I didn't have access to a television set. But once I got cable, I, I got exactly what they were talking about. If you watch outlets like CNN, um, oh, and by the way, for the Northeast accents, like I said, you'll have the uh, Yankee accent, the Boston accent, then there's the New York accent which kind of has variations and gradations within the city of New York City. Anyhow, but um, they were decrying that if you listened to a, to a talking head, and I use that word very purposely, that it was a very bland and very, there, there, there was no uniqueness. There was no accent. And they noted that these talking heads were trained. When they became talking heads, if they had a regional accent, they were trained to speak this bland, uh, distinctionless English. And it's true because <laughs> I, I noticed that once I started, you know, when I was watching Fox, if, if you, you know, and pick your, pick your news channel. I don't care if it's Fox, CNN, MSNBC, whatever, all the talking heads speak the same variation of English. But to use a European example, before France was amalgamated into the country that it is, you had in varying regions, you had different accents. A Parisian would sound different than a Norman. A Norman would sound different from somebody from Marseille, a person from yeah. You know, and pick your European country, Germany. Spain, France, Italy, even England. They, you know, everybody had their own regional accent. For the most part, well, I'm going to stick to my American example. Um, I've actually never heard a European podcaster talk about this phenomenon. So maybe, maybe it still holds true in Europe, but I know in America that the the that there were dozens of regional accents and now you can break it down to under eight. But God makes us in individuals now and he deals with us as individuals. Even within the saints who are considered his friends. Um Saint John of the Cross had different experiences than St. Teresa of Avila, who had different experiences than St. Louis de Montfort, who had different experiences than St. Therese of Lisieux. Even within the saints, who are united by a common love of God, he dealt with them as individuals. But what united the Catholic... Did, did, 
and it seems counterintuitive to a modern. Well, you have all these these variations and gradations of human beings. How did the church keep them together? It was very simple. They were held together by the history and the dogma and doctrine of the true Catholic Church. And when the Masons decided to do their assault on the Catholic Church in the 1700s, probably before then too, um, they did their best to turn these human differences which were united by a common cause and make these, these human differences adversarial and and you do see that I mean World War One, World War Two are perfect examples you know you had France and Germany um Catholics fighting against each other and their governments were telling them hey go kill the evil French guys and the French were saying oh go kill the evil Bosch and the English were saying, oh, go kill the evil Germans. And, you know, and what should have united them, their common religion, because of their secular governments, were, were used because they were Germans first. They were Italians first. They were French first. They were English first against each other. Because they purposely were not taught that the one thing uniting them on two levels was number one they're all children of God but number two they're all Catholics okay now I'm not trying to suggest to people that in the middle ages you didn't have wars between one Catholic country against another St. Joan of Arc, which I talked about in the previous episode, was a perfect example. The English invaded France. Joan of Arc was raised by God to get the English out of France. And they burned her as a her they captured her and burned her as a heretic. And might I add, she was betrayed by the French, uh, not by the king himself, but his, by his court. So I'm not trying to suggest that this phenomena all happened in modernity. It didn't. But I guarantee you, most of the wars between Catholics um, were not, were not um, uh, nation-state wars. They were generally between provinces or um, well, generally against provinces because I can't think I'm not claiming that I have a 100% infallible knowledge of history but the Hundred Years War is the only major war I can think of that happened to Europe at that time that was between two actual countries England and France now also too in the medieval ages, first of all, the Muslims started encroaching, well, they encroached in Europe um, 
in in like the 500s or the 600s and they took over parts of France and Spain and had to be driven out but then later under a different sultan in the 1400s they invaded Europe from another direction and they needed to be driven out then you had uh, heretics within Catholic countries and as I stated earlier, sorry Protestants, um, in those days, if you were not a Catholic, you were a heretic, and um, at best you were shunned, at worst, if you made a nuisance of yourself, they put you to the sword. You don't have to like it, them's the facts, them's the breaks. So... When it comes to the Catholic Church, its individual members, and this includes hierarchy and popes, um, operating within the framework of Catholic dogma and doctrine, their individualism is what gave the Catholic Church its variety, its richness. You know, I, I love it when Seth MacFarlane makes the meme about how the skinheads hate the Jews because of their rich heritage. Um, I've, 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 I'm not an expert in the Jewish religion or the Jewish people, but I will say that the Catholic, the Catholic Church rivals and surpasses the history of the Jewish people and religion. You don't have to like it. It's the truth. So, but these individuals, individuals as snowflakes, were under a common cause and a common purpose. And, and that's what gave the, the Catholic Church its... Uh, its diversity, unlike the modernists, was its actual strength. And I'm just going to put this out here. Should the modernist regime collapse, you know, despite their claims of their diversity being their strength, it's going to be their downfall because there's nothing uniting these people. And I suspect it's purposely done this way because the Masons at their core are Satanists. So I'm sure that there's an oligarchy that they're going to take care of each other and they're purposely going to set the varying factions of modernism which has nothing in common with each other against each other and the the like I said, Klaus Schwab said in the Great Reset, well he didn't say it, it was in one of his papers, that they want a seventy-five, I think it's a seventy-five to ninety percent reduction in the world's population. So the people that are left over are gonna be too small and because 
I suspect the majority of them are going to be modernists. They're, they're going to hate and fear each other because that's generally how it works up with totalitarian regimes. And by the way, this was another Masonic thing that sets people apart is wealth differential and respect for hierarchy. In Middle Ages Europe, uh, a peasant might not have liked his local earl or duke, but because that local earl and duke was his, for lack of a better term, master, he, he did what he was told, and he didn't resent their power and their wealth because the Catholic Church taught them that I'm going to go to a, a, a um, story in the book of St. John. When Jesus came back after the crucifixion, I think St. Peter and St. Andrew were fishing. And Jesus told them, he said, throw your nets over the side of your boat. And they threw the net and he said, okay, bring it, bring your boats back here. And when they brought the net, it was just filled to bursting with all different types of fishes. And the reason I'm bringing this up is the Catholic Church has always taught that being rich itself it's not, it's not a sin, it's, it's not a bad thing. As long as, you know, you weren't abusing people or um, terrorizing the local citizenry, you know, or, or being greedy with your money, you know, not giving to the poor people, not building churches or whatever. Having money in and of itself was not a bad thing. Then you had the Protestant revolt and all of a sudden you have class distinctions. Now, one of the little misunderstood concepts of medieval Europe is is that the nobles of a certain territory and the peasants and the middle class shopkeeps all sat in the same church and they had a Basic, I mean, an intuitive understanding that, you know, uh, Lord so-and-so wasn't better than peasant so-and-so. They were all children of God. And that all, um, that got worn away by the, you know, masonry and the Protestant revolt. But you had diversity. You had African Catholics, you had Asian Catholics, you had European Catholics, you had American Catholics, South American Catholics. And they were allowed, as long as it was heretical, to add their own national or regional flavor to their local churches, as long as they had their bishop's permission. So don't get it twisted, you moderns. There's a difference between God's diversity and the Masonic modernist diversity that you're being force-fed. You know, and a lot of people, I, I'm not, I promise you, I am not dogging you out about this because a lot of people have not been taught this stuff. 
And quite frankly, I'm not claiming to be an expert. The only reason I can speak on this subject is through God's grace. Everything that I talk about is through God's grace. The fact that I'm even able to reach anybody is through God's grace. So I'm not putting myself above anyone. I'm, I'm just trying to wake you up that there is a very, a very sinister purpose behind the, the Masonic modernist diversity. It's actually meant to divide and conquer, not unite, as opposed to the true Catholic Church's diversity, which is to treat people as individuals and cultures, but be united by common doctrine and uh, dogma. Okay, so that's the end of this uh, um, episode. I hope that it, that it was informative. It gave you something to think about. Um, I want to thank you for spending your time with me. Um, this one's not as long as my average one, but I appreciate the fact that you gave me a listen. And even if you think I'm full of garbage, if you listen to the end, you gave me your attention. Appreciate it. I really do. Words cannot express my gratitude. I'm praying for everyone in my life, whether they're in my life directly or indirectly. And when I say indirectly, I mean indirectly. People that I once knew, people that follow me on social media. I am praying for everyone and basically people in general. So... I would like to see as many people get to heaven as human uh, as possible. I'm sorry. I was going to say humanly possible. That is a heresy. Um, we need God's grace to get to heaven. But I, I would like to see as many people uh, be obedient to that grace and get to heaven as possible. Thank you for listening. Have a good day. God bless you. And keep you. Bye-bye.